you turn with me to Judges chapter 14, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11 today. Judges 14, starting in verse 1. Um, as you're turning there, uh, we're talking today about surrendering to the will of God. Um, and surrendering to God's will is a difficult thing uh, because sin is so enticing, right? Um, the, the sinful things that God wants us to avoid are the things that look so appealing, and it's difficult to um, resist that. We're called to resist that, but it's a difficult thing. So we are faced with a decision, are we going to we're going to give in to the temptation and, and partake in sin, or are we going to resist it and, um, and surrender to God's will? And because that is such a difficult decision for so many people, um, that, and we face it all throughout our lives, it's, we don't ever reach a point where we're so mature that we are above it, um, there is a prayer that I have that I pray often for myself, but I learned it during um, one of when one of our kids were being dedicated as, to the Lord as a baby. Um, and the pastor who dedicated her prayed for her that day, and he prayed that she would hate sin um, and that she would love him more than her desire for. Uh, to to partake in sin or to um, cave and give in to the temptation. And so that's a prayer that I have prayed for my kids and I've prayed it for myself and I've prayed it for other people as well, um, that I would hate sin so much that my love for God would be more powerful than that and I would surrender to his will. So what we're going to see as we get into the text today and we talk about Samson is we're going to see somebody who does not do that, somebody who, who caves and gives in to sin because of his love for it um, that's more powerful than his devotion to the Lord. So if you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? We're going to be looking at Judges 14, 1 to 11. Now remember, the verse right before this, and you know that in the original language there weren't chapter and verse that would break up the text. So right before this, the original readers would have read that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson. Um, and so we get into chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't, it, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came p 
powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when they went back to, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went uh, along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken it, taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let's pray. Father, as we look at, this is our, this is our first, uh, our first text that, where we learn some things about Samson himself um, after birth, and um, as he, as you are beginning to raise him up to deliver your people. Um, we see in him, in this entire chapter, somebody who does not surrender to your will. So as we are going to be looking at this text today and the rest of chapter 14 next week, and we're talking about surrendering to your will for both of those weeks, um, I pray that we would see in him the things that we need to avoid, um, that we would see the purpose for your your will and the things you call us to do and the things you call us to avoid there's there's reason for those things it's for our own good and for our health and um for our walk with you and so i pray that we would be able to uh, depart from here with a greater understanding as to what it looks like to be fully surrendered to you in jesus name amen go ahead and have a seat All right, so the first point in your notes today is Samson desired what God prohibited. Samson desired what God prohibited. Uh, we've already mentioned that Samson's call to lead Israel was given to his parents before he was even conceived. Uh, consequently, since it, since it was different than what we've seen so far, when he was an adult and God's spirit stirred in him and begin to begin the delivering process of Israel. Um, no one in Israel knew that this was God's chosen servant. He didn't arrive on the scene after they cried out for like like most of them did with, with the past 11 judges. The people would cry out to God for deliverance. God would raise up the judge in response to their cry um, who would deliver them out of oppression. But remember we've talked about this current situation is so much different than what we've seen so far throughout the account of the judges, because the people, um, they've, they've stopped crying out to God, and they're comfortable with their life situation as slaves to the Philistines. So no one knows that Samson is the deliverer, and honestly, no one would even be expecting a deliverer, because no one was even asking for one. Chapter 14 records what we see, and we'll, we'll cover some of them today, we'll cover the rest of them next week, records 
uh, a number of trips to the land of the Philistines. Um, on the very first recorded trip in the, in the text um, to Timnah, Samson sees a young and beautiful Philistine woman, and he's captivated by her beauty. Um, in fact, one of the commentators that I was reading who um, does, does is, is a Hebrew scholar who's talking about verse 2, verse 2 that says, uh, where he, he says, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. This guy was talking about how the Hebrew language was much stronger than that, and it was more, it was more to be understood like Samson was like, now, that's a woman, um, and probably very animated with his body as well as with his, with his words. And so she really did captivate him. And, um, and so we, we see that right at the beginning, we, you know, Samson, he's just, this is the first thing that we learn of him. We don't know anything about his earlier years, but right at the beginning, the first thing we see is that he's already, um, he, he, we see a disregard for the instructions of the Lord when God commanded his people not to intermarry with people from the surrounding foreign nations. And so two verses into Samson's life, what we have in the text, he's, he's already disregarding that. And so strong is his lust for this woman that he also disregards his parents' opinion. And the culture, we, what, what you well know from studying your Bible, the culture of that time was you, your parents were respected and you respected their opinion. And if you disrespected your parents or your parents' opinion, um, you were either severely punished or you were... Um, cut off from the family and shamed and that was a big deal we don't in America today we don't seem to care about shame but they did and so you didn't do that but he he's disregarded the instructions of the Lord and he's disregarded the the um, desires of his parents and their opinion on this whole thing um, his parents didn't like the idea of Samson marrying a Philistine woman so they, they question this decision that he's made. And they say, is, is there not an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Do you have to go to a foreign nation? To, you know, circumcision was the sign of God's covenant with his people. Do you have to go to someone who's the uncircumcised people to find a wife? But Samson doesn't care. So we're seeing, we're introduced right away to somebody who is not interested in surrendering to the will of the Lord. Now, I hesitate to be too critical of him, though, because I'm often no different than Samson. The, the temptations and the desires may be different than what he was experiencing, but the heart issue is the same. And I, I, just think of your own life. How many times do, have we desired the one thing that God has prohibited, right? Uh, to desire what God has prohibited, I think, is so common among mankind. You could, you could trace it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's what the first sin was about. God um, gave Adam and Eve an entire garden full of plants and trees that produced good food for them. They, they, they had absolutely no need 
for anything because everything was provided for them. And there was only one tree in the entire garden that God commanded them not to eat from, but they couldn't resist it when they were tempted with it. Um, have you ever, you ever seen videos? Um, I've seen them online or I've seen them on TV. Um, videos where parents will sit their child down at the table or the kitchen counter and they'll put candy in front of them and they'll say, now I have to go do something you don't eat that you can have it when I come back and if you've seen them then you know there's a there's a whole spectrum of how kids react some of them are good and you can tell it's killing them to not eat it but they wait but then you'll have other kids who who flirt with the temptation you know they'll be like maybe they'll just start playing with it a little bit but when they feel it you know then sometimes they might pick it up and maybe lick it and put it back down or if it's something if it's something where you can maybe eat a little bit and you wouldn't be able to tell, like if it's a pile of M&Ms or something, they might take a few. And then it you know, looks like when, when mom comes back that they haven't eaten it. And then some of them just, they can't resist it. And they just eat the whole thing. Um, and uh, <laughs> just to go along with human nature and how, how we all relate to this, I've seen them before where they eat it all and then they make it look like their younger sibling did it. Um, it's too difficult to resist because we always want what we can't have. We can never just be content with what God has given us. But what God has promised, what he's promised to provide for us um, is what would be a blessing to us. And so this, this is something that Samson didn't really ever grasp um, and sometimes you probably know people or maybe this is even you I don't know God's provision for us is perfect and his restrictions in life are to protect us um, Samson doesn't really understand that through most of what we are given in biblical text but God's provision for us is perfect and the restrictions he places in life for us are to protect us. Um, and so that's why God wants us to surrender to his will. He wants us to uh, avoid the things that he says to avoid because it, it is to protect us and, and also to be a blessing because often those things lead to consequences that cause suffering. Um, and so God wants us to surrender to his will, but we as, as people, we always want what we can't have. Um, so in that sense, we're really no different than Samson. Um, but there is a way for us to be different than Samson. So let's, uh, as we get into point number two, uh, point number two is Samson denied himself nothing. He denied himself absolutely nothing that he wanted. And this is where we can differ from him. Um, by having a willing spirit of submission to the Lord's commands and to his blessing. Because Samson's problem was not that he desired something he shouldn't have. Uh, I mean, Satan used those things like lust and pride and anger to tempt Samson. Uh, but it was not the fact that 
he desired something he shouldn't have was not his problem. Because every one of us is also tempted to partake in things that we shouldn't. It's not a sin to be tempted, but because being tempted is the work of Satan, that's not something you don't you don't say you don't set out to tempt yourself. Satan Satan is the one who does the work of temptation. And so that's not the problem. It's sin, however, if you act upon the temptation. And that was Samson's problem. His problem was that he denied himself nothing, even sinful things that were bad for him. Um, in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 10 and 11, Solomon wrote this. Solomon, he was a pretty wise guy. He said this, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And so Solomon, the man who was the most, probably the most wise person who ever walked the face of the earth apart from Jesus, said, I, I went down this path. I, I pursued worldly pleasures. I pursued, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's relationships or projects or whatever it was. Anything I wanted to do, I did it. And when I sat back and I looked at everything it was over the course of my life, I discovered all of that meant nothing. It was empty. Because Solomon eventually learned and understood something that Samson never learned. It's, it is something that you and I have to understand about life as well, that no matter what we love or hate or desi desire or despise, I mean, we can avoid things that we hate and we can pursue things that we love, but unless we are first pursuing Christ, everything will be meaningless in your life. In fact, um, and this is this is something I've learned from my own experience. This is something I've heard other people talk about. Eventually, after a while, sin loses its luster. If you've partaken sin long enough, it eventually loses what was so appealing to it, to, to you before, which is why Solomon concluded that without God's will governing your life and giving your life purpose and, and staying within his will where he's blessing you then everything is pointless in life and you end up empty and disappointed Samson never learned that he just continued to feed his lust and his pride by pursuing after his own desires rather than after the desires of God and we can be different from Samson by surrendering our will over to the will of God but that doesn't mean you'll be less tempted, and it doesn't mean, in fact, you might be more tempted as you surrender more and more to the Lord. But as you, as you surrender more and more over to the will of God, that helps you to resist temptation because the more you surrender to the Lord, the more you will love him and draw near to him. And the more you love him, the more you will hate sin because you will hate the things that oppose God's character. So my prayer is often, Lord, help me to hate sin. 
May my love for you far outweigh my desire to sin against you. But that's not the way Samson operates. Um, as we look at point number three, Samson disregarded what God commanded. So those first two points were focused mostly on his desire for this foreign woman to be his wife, his disregard of God's commands, and his disregard of his parents' opinions um, and their counsel on this. This next, this third point is going to cover the rest of the text dealing with the, the lion attack and, and those things. Samson disregarded what God commanded. So he doesn't, he doesn't operate like with this mindset, help me to not sin. He's, he, he convinces his parents that this foreign woman is the one who will make his life complete, so they all go down to Timnah to meet her. So this is now the second time in the text we're told that they went down to uh, the land of the Philistines. And it's on this second trip to Timnah that Samson is attacked by a lion. Now, there are some things, and some of this that I'm going to share with you is going to be just speculation on my part, but there are some things that I have wondered about this particular part of Samson's life. Um, I've, I've wondered how Samson can be traveling with his parents, and yet they don't know about a lion that attacked him and the fact that he killed it with his bare hands. Now, I... I mean, how does one not see that? And you can ask, you can ask my wife, I can be pretty oblivious at times to things that are going on, but I think if I'm traveling with somebody who's attacked by a lion and I see them victorious, barehanded, I think I would notice that. I mean, even me. So I've wondered before about that in the text. Like, how do they not see it? Um, but there is something that I've never noticed in the text until this time studying for the sermon this morning. Um, did you notice that Samson and his parents, it's, the text tells us they are traveling near the vineyards of Timnah. Um, that has just never caught my attention before. And again, this part is speculation on my part. Um, so don't go off and tell people that your pastor is preaching things that aren't in the Bible. I'm just wondering. Um, I wonder if he went ahead of them or if he veered off the main path when they approached the vineyards of Timnah. Um, because what we know of him so far from the text is he has no regard for what God has commanded him. And even though, as a Nazarite, he, he was supposed to be a Nazarite for life, he was not to have anything to do with the fruit of the vine. He was not to drink wine, but he was also not supposed to eat grapes or even the skins or the seeds we talked about. Um, but he doesn't seem, to, doesn't seem to care much about his so-called vow that he didn't really take himself that was forced onto his life. And so, as I'm trying to figure out how he could be attacked by a lion while he's traveling with his parents, but his parents don't know about it, 
Um, I'm just wondering if maybe the temptation to partake in the fruit of the vine was something that he gave into and maybe veered off because I don't know about you guys, but, um, you know, most people, if they're, if they're going to do something they're not supposed to be doing, they do it in secret, you know, so um, Samson, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just speculating how he could be far enough away from his parents while they're traveling together that they wouldn't see that a lion was attacking him and that he ripped it to pieces with his bare hands. Um, so I don't know that that's what happened. This is something I've wondered about. But anyway, when the lion attacks him and his parents are far enough away they don't know about it, the text tells us that the spirit of the Lord came upon him and gave him super gave him strength that was like superhuman. And he takes this lion and he just tears it apart with his bare hands. Um, I would have liked to have seen it. Um, I, I don't know why I like watching videos of like animals attacking animals and fighting and <laughs> I would have liked to have seen uh, Samson tear a lion apart with his bare hands. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know how all that worked out, but this is what I do know. When he rejoins his parents again, they know nothing about it. And so they meet the Philistine woman because they were on their way down to meet her. Samson's convinced that he does want to marry her. And then the text moves into a third trip down to Timnah and, um, so that he can marry her. And this, this trip is the one that where he goes down and he goes by the carcass of the lion. So it hadn't been so long that uh, the, lion, the lion was still laying there dead. Um, and he goes by it and he notices that there is a swarm of bees in it and that there's honey in it. And disregarding the Nazarite vow that he is supposed to be keeping, he reaches into the carcass of the lion because he's not supposed to touch anything dead. He reaches into the carcass of the lion and he takes the honey out. And he partakes of it and he shares it with his parents. It tells us that they didn't know. So again, he, he traveled that way without them, but joined up with them and shared with them this honey that he was eating. So here's what we see in the text for today. We see that Samson disregards the commands of God by two things for sure, a possible third thing. One, marrying a pagan woman. He disregarded God's command. Um, now, I, I'm saying he disregarded God's commands, okay? Not the Nazarite vow necessarily, because the Nazarite vow, the command to not marry anyone outside of the people of Israel was not something that was part of the Nazarite vow because it was an overarching law that they were supposed to obey. But he disregards it by marrying a pagan woman he disregards the commands of God by touching the carcass of the lion in violation to the Nazarite vow.
and then possibly disregards the commands of God if he did partake of the fruit of the vine as they were walking from the vineyards. So as, as we look at Samson's life, what we see is someone who loved the short-term pleasures of sin more than he loved God. And as we continue to study his life in the weeks ahead, we're going to see more and more of this. And we're going to see the mess that it creates in his life. And it creates a huge mess in his life. We often, we often look at the results of sin as being like we, we see people who partake in those things and we see the results in their life and we we often observe that and it looks fun or desirable because the world seems to prosper while we often live a life of struggle and suffering if you will turn with me to Psalm 73 like you to follow along with me. I'm going to read some places in Psalm 73 because this is a psalm written by Asaph and Asaph was struggling with that very thing. As we, as we struggle in our life like to resist temptation and to surrender to the will of God and we're looking at a man who disregarded that and he did not surrender to the will of God and we begin to see the mess it creates. I don't want to I don't want us to be fooled. Asaph, writing about the wicked, he says this, um, starting in verse 3. He says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. And he goes on and he, he talks some more in, in that, in that uh, the next verses about those same things, like just the things that he observes, how they, they don't follow God, They're, they run after wickedness, they run after the worldly pleasures, and yet they seem to, everything seems to be great for them. Look at verse 16. He says in verse 16, after he's gone you know, a number of verses talking about how they seem to be blessed. He said, when I tried to understand all this, it, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. So he, he was troubled until he drew close to God and he was able to get a godly perspective and he was able to understand what's going to happen and then he explains what he understood verse 18 surely you place them on slippery ground that was that was common language in biblical writing it's like your feet being firm on the ground was a sign of um, of security and so Asaph writes about God and 
you know, responding to the wiki, he said, surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin, how suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. And so he sees now that it may look like it's fun, it may look like they're blessed, it may look like they have no troubles, but here's what the end is going to be like for them. Now jump down to verse 23, because he, go, he continues to talk about the things that are going to happen. Then in verse 23, he says, he switches and he looks back at his own life. He says, yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. So, Asaph, who struggled with this, the same thing that you and I struggle with every day, concluded that it is much better to hate sin and to surrender to the will of God. And the end for those who run after sin is going to be destruction. The end for those who surrender to the will of God is God is going to take us to glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that promise. We thank you uh, as we look at Samson's life, we see things to avoid. Um, and I just pray that you would help us to be people who hate sin and that our love for you would be so strong and overpowering in our life that our desire to give in to temptation would just pale in comparison and we would, we would run after you, we'd surrender to you and we would live in the according to your will, walking with you daily in intimacy. Samson, for most of his life, didn't understand that. Um, but let us be people who don't misunderstand or who aren't fooled by the, the luster of the things of this world. In Jesus' name.